Blog Talk Radio. Okay, this is the third time I've hit it. Let's see what happens now. There we go. Hey, please a charm. <laughs> Welcome to Peach State Pandemonium, a production brought to you by the GWH Radio Network where we take you down memory lane for a look at professional wrestling the way it used to be, with conversations from those who paved the way. And now, the GWH Radio Network presents Peach State Pandemonium. Good evening, and welcome to Peach State Pandemonium for Thursday, August 18, 2016. This is Michael Norris, along with my co-host, Bobby Simmons, Jerry Oates, and Jay West. Yeah, hey. How are you guys doing this evening? Well, I'm doing good. Well, I'm doing better now because uh, me and Jerry refuse to talk if our music don't play. <laughs> there you go. Uh, it was, uh, uh, you know, some. I don't know. I'll hit that thing before we go on the air once we're up, and it'll go immediately. I mean, I don't even have to half touch it. And then I sometimes it'll go on the second uh, second punch, and this time it was three. So it's there's some kind of uh, witch in there. I don't know what it is, but you're right. You got to have your music, or you don't talk. You gotta have it, yeah. Well, you know, gotta gotta change with the times. <laughs> well, uh, before we get into wrestling, I have to say I, I watched the uh, the debut of uh, the Braves' number one draft choice uh, of this year, Dansby Swanson, or he was a number one draft choice that they got in in a trade. Uh, and uh, I was impressed with him last night. He went two for uh, two out of four. And uh, you know his, his fielding play was was pretty good for somebody young and uh, you know only 22 years old and making their, their major league debut and and even jumped from Double A ball to the big leagues. But I was more impressed. I think the Braves right now, if if you lined them all up, their players, we've got the best looking physically baseball team in, in the major leagues. I mean, these guys are, and don't take this the wrong way, but these guys are handsome. <laughs> and I remember when go. I first, when I when I moved to Atlanta in 1982, other than Dale Murphy, we had the ugliest baseball, especially the pitching staff. I mean, you had Gene Garber, Bob Walk, other than Steve, well, Steve Bedrosian was decent looking, but other, we had the ugliest pitching staff and then, then continued when we got, uh, uh, oh, what was the guy's name? Suter, the, the the guy that was such a bust. And uh, but you know between you know Dansby Swanson and Chase Peterson and Chase Darno and these guys could be movie stars. Of course, Chase Darno's a country singer too, besides being a baseball player. And uh, but uh, and then Tyler Recker, the, uh, the the catcher we got, he he could be a, a, a baby a baby face back in the seventies. I read today that the Braves were happy with that kid too, Michael, because they sold five thousand more seats last night. Yeah. He, fr- he played at Marietta High School. Right. And uh, I read they said he was he was at Pearl, Mississippi. They said he got the got the notice like at five forty five the night before he was coming to Atlanta. Said he got in his car and drove six hours, slept in his own bed for two hours, and then went to the ballpark. Sounds <laughs> like Jack Briscoe coming to too. Sounds like Jack Briscoe coming to Atlanta to uh, wrestle Jerry Oates on TV. Six yeah. hours. Huh? <laughs> uh, 
here's uh, here's something from the Wrestling Observer. Uh, the uh, Mid-Atlantic Wrestling Reunion was held in Charlotte. I didn't hear much about it this year as compared to in some of the last years, but uh, Bobby Fulton was there. Uh, Bobby, uh, he was, I mean, Bobby Eaton was there. Sorry, Bobby Eaton was there reuniting with uh, Stan Lane and Jim Cornette. And uh, after the convention, uh, he was going home, and he had a connection to Atlanta, and uh, nobody heard from him for 12 hours. And supposedly he was found 12 hours later confused walking around the Atlanta airport, and somebody helped him and and got him on his way. But uh, at any way, uh, you don't know who you'll find walking around the airport these days, but it's unfortunate that 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 situation occurred. But it's just one more element of me that we've talked about here, about these headshots and, and what these guys that are, I mean, 58 years old, uh, we know what some of them put into their bodies, but at the same time, uh, there's there's just uh, a lot of physical problems that, that have to be accounted at this point directly to not just the work they did into the ring, but the specific headshots that they took. Well, if I'm not mistaken, Bobby's had a couple of uh, strokes as well. He's had right. some issues with his heart, but he's also got yeah. a uh, he has a drinking problem, and uh, I'm I'm sure that probably uh, contributed to it. Yeah, there's a couple of times I've been uh, in the old old days that I became confused a little bit after a hard day's night. Yeah. But we wish him the best. And Mike, one more thing from that Charlotte reunion, uh, one of your all-time uh, friends, uh, Mike Jackson, uh, worked a match on that show, and uh, so I just thought you'd want to know that. Yeah, I saw somebody put a uh, video up there of him walking around the ring on the top ropes, and the guy guy that he's uh, supposedly wrestling in the ring basically holding him up so he don't <laughs> slip and fall. You know. <laughs> There again, I, this is this is what uh, a statement that I that that I made to Bobby when when we were watching that show down in uh, in Blakely when the guy came out with the sunglasses and the earrings and the and the tie and continued to wrestle with all that paraphernalia on. You know, can you see Mike Jackson walking around the top ropes and and Ole Anderson or Bill Dromo holding him up? They just <laughs> snatched snatched his arm off of him and beat him to death with it. And that would have been a pretty good show. Hands with him. <laughs> I would have uh, paid to see that. Luckily, I that was he developed that spot after I had to wrestle him all the time because I don't think I'd have gone. I'd, I'd have had to accidentally let loose of him at, at least once. You know, but well, it goes back. It goes back to common sense, fellas. I mean, I've seen Jackson do that thing several times, and what person in their right mind is going to hold on to his arm or his hand? While he's walking around the top ropes and you're standing in the ring looking like an idiot. I mean, it, it, common sense is you're going to fight, snatch away, do something, and that never happens. So it's just, you know. You know, but, listening, listening to this show could cause you to get on crack. <laughs> yeah. This is, I, I, there's no, you can't even comment on this stuff. Well, wait until we talk, start talking about Dudley, Georgia. Oh, yeah. Another, another good. <laughs> Another good comment from Jerry Oates, just out of the blue. There, you know, I just yeah. well, I mean, you know, it's it's you know, uh, he he's got to be sixty, what, 
three, sixty-seven, sixty-eight. He's, yeah, you know, he's, he's ten re- years older than me. Reported sixty-seven, sixty-seven. As much as I love Joe Namath, I wouldn't want to see Joe Namath try to play football today. You know, no. I mean, there comes a time. I mean, even though our business is what it is, there comes a time when you should be embarrassed to even try to do it. You know, yep. it, it, it's 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 insanity. Like Robert Griffin III is still trying to play football here with the Falcons uh, against them. I mean, it's you know, some things don't work. Well, you know, we've made the comment here, you know, as, as much as we all loved what we did, you guys were in it much longer than I was, but you still feel it, you know, you still get get – you know, you walk into a building with a ring in it or you hear the bell ring and you still get chills. And I can understand guys that want to be involved in the business. And, and you know, the thing that reminded me, if you've ever seen the movie Rocky Two, where, you know, he goes to Mickey and, and, and this is after he's, you know, been told he couldn't shouldn't fight anymore because of his eyes and all this stuff. And he... He goes to Mickey and says, you know, uh, can I do something here at the gym? And, and and Mickey says, no, you're a hero to these guys. Why would you want to work in this gym pushing a broom or emptying spit buckets? And he said, I just got to be around it. You know, I felt that way long after I got out of the business, and I was only in it for, you know, two and a half years. And I, But I felt that way. And I'm sure you guys, Bobby and Jerry, uh especially because you guys were in it for so long. But there's a difference in wanting to be around it and still performing way past when it's even believable anymore. Well, you know, you know, you know, there's there's other things you can do. You know, if you're still physically able, then you can referee, you know, because how many guys that were big stars in the, in the fifties and sixties, by the time the seventies rolled around, they were referees. You know, I, I'm sure if we made a list of them, we could name a hundred. But they still, you know, they were still around the business. They still contributed, but it was believable them refereeing, but not getting out there and wrestling. It's like you know, you know, Sonny Myers putting on a mask when he was 80 years old down in Florida and still doing you know opening matches. You know, it just, it, it, you know. Train guys if you want to be around it or whatever, but you know, but not well, not get in the ring and and you know have the guys prop you up to to <laughs> do what you got to do. Well, that's the way well, I, I heard Harley. About it. I heard Harley Race make this statement at the Callfire Alley Club a few years ago. We were standing around. There were several of us talking, and he made this statement. He said, "Once you're in the spotlight, once you're in the ring under the ring light, he said that never gets out of your system, and that's the God's honest truth." Sitting there yep. last two weeks ago, sitting there, Michael, there ain't a doubt in my mind I can referee better than all three or four of them guys there other than Larry Brock they had put together there. Oh, I'm sure. There ain't a doubt in my mind. But my knees and my body say, no, you can't. You can't do it anymore. I still got the head knowledge. I still got to want to, but I couldn't do it anymore. And uh, that's that's the problem with people is they don't – a lot of these folks never get to that point. And, and I hate to keep using him as an example, but then you got guys like Ric Flair that, that never had sense enough to do nothing else or try to do anything else, and, and he don't know how to do anything else. So he just keeps going out and embarrassing himself. 
Well, everything he's tried to do outside of wrestling, he's, you know, he's so into the wrestling mentality of everything in the world as a work. That's all he's been. A, he's everything he's done outside of that has been a con of one sort or another. Yeah. Well, you know, because, he can't he can't break his persona. You know, it's uh, uh, that's part of it. Also, you can't be seen as anything less than what you were, and I think that's a few of those guys' problems, particularly the ones that, for whatever reason, spent all their money, and now a few of them that still have a minute amount of bankability, i.e., flair have to put themselves out there because they got to pay for room and board. Well, now, I just, I just finished. Wives. Uh, I just finished reading Fez's book Hooker for the second time in my life, and you know he was he was fairly smart. He invested in, in you know, like he he bought property and he had. Uh, um, resorts or he had uh apartment buildings or whatever and it was nothing to him even though he was you know for a lot of for a lot of years the world heavyweight champion for him to to be doing the maintenance on his own property and stuff like that and there's well for a while there after he divorced his second wife um he wrestled because he needed to but uh, uh but you know, he wrestled because he he wanted to, but he was still credible enough. He was one of the few that well, were still credible uh, enough. He was such a good worker and, you know, a shooter that unfortunately, even if he'd wanted to quit, the fans wouldn't let him. I mean, you know, I, I still wanted to see him work uh, and much past his prime, and he still put up a good, you know, he, he showed he could still do it, but, I mean, uh, there's just certain people that the fans just uh, demand. Well, the see. difference there between him and and somebody say like a Chick Donovan, uh, who's still doing it, was Thez could do it to begin with. Right. And I'll well, I'll leave and, it alone. And, and who Thez's style permitted it. Exactly. Yep. yep. You know he didn't he was, have to rely on somebody to hold him up. You know well, while he, he, he was while he did some sort of high spot. You know, his his style. Permitted, you know. Yep. So he was a professional so athlete, you know, just like professional boxers and football players and people of that time. He was, he was put on the same pedestal, you know, uh, in or away from wrestling. Well, I think so Jerry'll agree with this. I'm not sure how old he was when he had his last match, but if he went for that double wrist lock, I promise you, whoever he wrestled went with it. <laughs> I, I, I promise you, they did. <laughs> But you know, it's like uh, football players when they're, when they're done in NFL, they don't go to semi pro teams. I mean, no, no, it's insanity. It's the same difference. It, look, I love doing it. I mean, I, I did. I actually loved it, and 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 uh, I love doing it. Made a lot of wrong turns along the way. Should have went here. Should have went there. Shouldn't have gone there. Whatever. But when the gig's up, it's up. I don't care how, how who you were, or how much you made, or how famous you were. When it's up, it's up. And if yeah. and they don't realize it, they don't realize. It. And get to get me to Dudley. I got to hear about this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this was in the email. I just uh, it was the word debacle went along with it. It was almost yeah, like the a, Dudley debacle. I think that's a that's a, a, a appropriate uh, term. For but, 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 but before we go any further, did you expect anything less? No. Well, when I yeah. saw the when I was told about it. I seen the 
advertisement. And uh, Mr. Smith was going down to sell his wares, and he asked me if I wanted to go with him. And when I seen the poster and I seen what was advertised, I told him no. I said, I don't want no part of this. Um, well, give me a rundown of what you saw. Well, number one, the list of talent, and I'm just going to give you the four or five or six that pop up off my head. Ted DiBiase, uh, Ron Simmons, Tully Blanchard, Ole Anderson, Arn Anderson, Ricky Steamboat. Um, Brian uh, Blair. Brian, Brian Blair. Barry Windham. Barry Windham. Larry Zabisco. Yeah, there was there was there was thirty guys or forty guys listed. Well, right away, looking at this list of of, of talent that he was going to bring in here, number one, he's doing it the week after Charlotte, which always does fairly well for one of those things. He is putting it in Dudley, Georgia, where there is not a building that's going to hold over fifteen hundred, two thousand people max. Where and is Dudley? Do what? Where is Dudley? It's, it's if you come in north out of Savannah and you pass four forty one at Dublin, the main exit there where all the restaurants and everything are. Right. It's the it's the next exit going toward Macon. Oh yeah, I've, I've seen, seen that sign like, there for Dudley before. Yes. Let yes, me tell you, yes. this is the town. This is the town. Thirty five years ago, I went there to referee and ten people showed up and Choo Choo went and called Mister Ward. Mister Ward said we need to run it because if we don't, we might hurt Macon. That's the only time I'd ever been there. And never so, been back. And they hadn't been back. So anyway, well, long story short, when I seen this thing, were probably all that were were among the 120 that showed up for this thing. The they night. said I looked at the poster, and I'm smart enough to realize this guy's got to sell thirty thousand dollars worth of tickets to just pay for the people that he's promised to pay to get there. He flew Tully Blanchard from Texas. Now I'm assuming so, so- he sent he sent Tully the ticket. Up front. So some of these people that he advertised were actually there. Oh yeah, listen, that yeah, uh, the only one, the only one he advertised that did not show up, I think, was Rick Steamboat. And from what I heard, somebody called him and he turned around, and went home. He was on the way. That's what yeah. I heard now from people I've talked to. A couple other names: Bill Eady was there, Paul Tom Pritchard was there, Tom Pritchard came down. There. Tom Pritchard came down to put on one of his seminars. So he's told when he when they I'm telling you things I've been told. He said when Pritchard got there, he was told he had 30 people signed up for his seminar. So when uh, the uh, gets time for, when they all started coming in, the guy was telling him, "I'm gonna pay you later on. Just go ahead and see your gimmicks." Blah blah blah. When when it got to be three o'clock or whatever time the the uh, Things supposed to go on. Pritchard went to another building where the ring was set up, where they were actually going to have the matches. And uh, they had, uh, he said, when he got over there, he had three guys there. And he said the guy was putting it on, came over and told him, said, well, you know, we're going to, some of them are late, just wait a few minutes before you start. And Tom said, no, it's not fair to not start with the ones that are here on time. I'll go ahead and get started. We'll just fit the others in as they come. He wound up with seven people, and he had the guys in the ring doing something. And he got a text from Tully Blanchard. And Tully said, when Arn grabbed the guy by the throat and throwed him against the wall, he said, I had to leave. So the that's when, that's, yes, that's when Tom went over there and found out what all was happening. And I think he left too, but, or got ready to leave. I, it was, it was a, it was a total, I mean, nobody got, nobody got a dime. 
Well, so, supposedly I, Dale Wilkes and uh, uh, one other person got cash. How uh, much was he charging people? How much was he charging people to get in, and how many people did he have there? He, he had, had 120 people there, and he was charging a hundred dollars. What? Yep. But there was a that that was in, that was uh, I think there was two ticket prices like ninety nine for the meet and greet and the matches or you could do one or the other separately for less than that. But he well, didn't pay he didn't pay the hotel. No. And then on top of all this, uh, Bill Eady called the sheriff's department and they came out there and uh, so he he um, I think it was Orndorff drove him to his mother's house. He got his mother's checkbook without her knowing it and wrote checks for everybody. Yeah, the sheriff and told then, him uh, the yeah, sheriff told ahead, him Buck. if he did he was gonna write everybody a check. And he said if they're not good Monday morning, he said I'm gonna put you in jail. Because the guy's story was he had he had the money, he just couldn't get it out of the bank on a Saturday. Well he had ten thousand dollars. You know, if he had a hundred people, that paid a hundred dollars a piece. I don't think he sold that many tickets. I think that's what yeah. that was his tale. The I will say this now: some of the guys, and I give them credit. I, you know, they have enough respect for our business. There was there was six, seven, eight guys, ten guys, Brian Blair being one of them, that said, "Look, these people that did buy tickets for the matches, it's unfair to them." Let's stay and do a little show for them. And they stayed and did four or five matches. And uh, they split the ticket sales up. I heard they got $20 a piece. So some of these guys actually worked in the ring. Is that what you're saying? They actually stayed and worked a little show that night. So, you know, just because they said it's not fair to the fans. And that was the, only, that was the reason they stayed. So it was uh, here, yeah, here's, it was, here's, here's the deal. That's on them. You you think I don't know where Brian Blair lives, but Brian Tampa. Blair Tampa. Nobody knows him here in Georgia, really. I mean, are, are they know him from being a, a they know him from being a bumblebee in in New York. Well, yeah, well, I was a butterfly one time too. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, look, that's, that's another story. <laughs> The gig is up. The gig is up, I tell you. It's up. You know, what did Ole do about his money? Just cussed and stomped and snorted. He didn't get none. So, you know, the so thing, Jerry, the thing, go ahead. You know, the whole thing is something we've talked about before. We've, we've discussed this. Out of all of those names, <laughs> out of every one of them, you got them all in one place under one building and could not draw. They didn't draw a dime. And that's what I, that's my whole point with these people trying to run these shows, and they bring these guys in and pay them a lot of money. And some of them do make. I mean, you know, uh, I really I would not. Can you imagine? They said that uh, I forget who it was. One of them, somebody drove from Evansville, Indiana, down there, and I know the name, Jeez. but I can't. But but you know, who in their right mind? goes down that far without getting some of your money up front, a guarantee that, in your pocket. They, it, it's like it's like when Leon Ogle and I were, were together back in class after the business was really done, we was going to run Fitzgerald. 
and we was going to use some guys that we trained, that I had trained, and, you know, we had a pretty good little crew. And he told them before we left, he says, we're going down here on a chance. And that's what it was. No guarantees. We're going on a chance. Yeah. And so if you drive from Evansville, Indiana, to Dudley, Georgia, you did that on a chance. Yes, sir. Well, let's get, who put this together? The guy's name is guy's name is Greg Green. Greg Green. Yep. The hotel. Greg Green. He ran a show in he ran a show in Dublin. I guess it's been a little over a year ago. Charlie called me and Charlie says, "Hey, I'm going down there. You want to go with me? I got to come right by your house to go down there." And I went, "Sure, I'll go with you." So me and him, you know, from my house to Dublin is about an hour and a half. And we left my house, and we rode down there, and he set his little gimmick tables up, and we sat there. And the guy drew, with nobody on the card you ever heard of, he drew about 400 people. And he had a good little crowd there. Charlie sold a lot of his stuff, you know. Uh, We loaded up and came home. Well, he ran it a second time. I didn't go the second time, and Charlie didn't either. But we heard that he did not draw as much that night. And then... uh, we uh, then this was the third thing I think he's tried to do, but they said the hotel, the hotel, he booked those rooms for those guys, and I don't know what story he put on them that he was going to come pay for them or whatever, and and or he gave them a bad credit card or bad check or something, because they said Sunday morning what what three or four guys stayed there that night had to pay for their own rooms, they had to, they somebody posted a picture of it on Facebook, they had the guy's name and home address. And phone number on a piece of paper up on the counter, so everybody would know what it was. <laughs> when I heard all of this was going down, somebody called uh, Smitty called me and told me about it, and and uh, I called. Uh, I was talking to Randy on the phone. I was telling him about it, and I said that boy is home right now. It was about midnight, and we were talking. I said that boy is home right now in the dark, loading a U-Haul. He's fixed to get <laughs> out of Dodge. Well, he's obviously an old-time fan that, uh, you know, has uh, tried it a couple of times, and he didn't lose money, and he tried it on a bigger scale this time, and uh, it didn't go the way he was hoping. Jerry, if this guy had called you and said, I want to come here for this show, and these people are all booked to be on it, what would you have told him or demanded of him that you would have wanted before you would have actually considered appearing? He'd have to send me a a, a, a money order. Or, uh, I wouldn't take no check from somebody. I wouldn't even. I would. I wouldn't even leave. I I was probably closer than anybody being here in Savannah. Of course, I wasn't asked, and I wouldn't have gone. I, oh, I your your that. your brother was advertised too. I don't know if he went, but Ted Oates was on that list. Is being I advertised. I doubt he went. I doubt that he would. He may have. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. Charlie could have picked him up maybe. I don't know. But, no, I, I – No, Charlie wasn't picking him up because we were talking about – Scrappy and I were actually thinking about riding down there with Charlie so he wouldn't have to go by himself. And his thing was, no, you had to meet me in Conyers. <laughs> he, he, instead of coming by here and picking us up, you know, coming hey, to that sounded like Charlie. Jack- that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I heard it enough times last <laughs> last week. But well, you know, the, the whole thing is, it, it's, you know, we, we we can't beat a dead horse, but, you know, it's not 1970 anymore. 
And I don't care how many of these guys you put in there and how many names you list on a piece of paper, especially when you talk charging $100. I mean, that's Bobby, just... You, you said it just a few minutes ago about what really happened. But before I go back to what you said, did he advertise this? I mean, was it out there where people... Oh, yeah. It was everywhere. I mean, he was mainly on Facebook. Mainly on Facebook, but he was all over the internet, and he was—he was. He was uh, I'm sure he, you know, he he had. Uh, I, I'm assuming. I, I guess. I mean, I if I had that kind of money, I was trying to invest or going to lose, I'd have went every way I know possible. But but you, you said the whole thing just a few minutes ago, and I don't know if you really realized what you said. They didn't draw. No. I'm not talking about the promoter. The boys didn't draw. No. You know, I mean, it's it's maybe they've seen them somewhere else and said, "No, nah, I'm not gonna go again for that kind of money to see them." I mean, it's it's it's. Well, here's here's the here's the idiocy in all of this. Now, Charlie told me he went down there, 250 miles round trip or 280 round trip from his house down there, city stuff up, spent the day down there. He said he didn't sell one thing. Wow. When you well, pay a hundred bucks to go into the meet and greet, okay, if that's what it was, you walk into a room, into a gymnasium or whatever you walk in. Here is fifty guys, and let's say you're 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 a you're a fan, you know. I mean, if I was, you go back to our day, Jerry. If they'd have said Luthes, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> Freddie Blassie, you know, whoever. It might have interested us to go see our heroes. I can understand right. that. You walk in the gym, you've paid $100 to get in. Here they are. You walk up to them. You know, I love Ole. i got nothing against Ole. Me and Ole get along fine. But you walk up as a fan and you speak to him. He's just as likely to cuss you out as he is speak to you. And then if you want his autograph or a picture, you got to spend $5 for his picture to get his autograph. And then you got to go on to the next table where Ted DiBiase is. He wants to see you his picture and his this and this. Then you go to the next. I mean, you could conceivably go in there after paying 100 bucks just to get in the door and spend another $150, dollars right. buying pictures. You I are, mean, you are spending. It's crazy. The DiBiase Yeah, he was, he was there, they said. You are spending $100 for the right to buy autographs. Yeah, that's that's pretty much yeah. Sort of like the Falcons tried to tell me I need to spend that money to buy the rights to buy the tickets. Right, yes, exactly. Wasn't going for that, and evidently there was a bunch of smart people that didn't go for it in Dudley, Georgia. Well, I'm I'm sure there's a lot of people that didn't go for that Falcons deal in Atlanta either. (laughs) But anyhow, I mean, you know, it would be like, how many many years these guys have been out in the business? 20, 25 years? Some of them, yeah. Longer than that. Okay. It's, it would Dirty. be like going to a nursing home seeing people. <laughs> I mean, God forbid, I mean, that's what it would be. I mean, I'm not being ugly. I mean, I'm not what I was. Neither are they. You know? It, it's, it's you know, it, it's, it, it's, it's almost I think it's, I think it's curiosity more or less than anything right. else. I you, know, you want to go see a, what the, what they look like now, how crippled they are now, and all this other stuff. It's like well, you know, let me you, let me throw one other thing. Down to look at a car wreck. Listen, I 
the whole time I was in the business, I weighed anywhere from 220 to 240. I mean, I never got over 240, and I was always around that, that area. After I got out of the full-time working every night and was in the office, I put some weight on. You know, right now, I'm 375. So I'm not, I'm not knocking nobody for their weight or nothing else, but but Barry Wyndham was one that was specifically mentioned to me. People went to see Barry Wyndham. Barry Wyndham was always, what, about 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, you know, weighed about 250, 260. They said Wyndham weighs 375, 400 pounds. said he's huge. So if you pay well, that they, money they, and you go to see... You you go to see these people, and you think in your mind, uh, well, I'm going to see Barry Wyndham. Barry Wyndham don't look like Barry Wyndham no more. Again, I got nothing against Tommy Rich, but Tommy Rich don't look like Tommy Rich did 35 years ago. Nobody does. So, uh, except, you know, Dolly, except Dolly Parton. She looks better. But other than that. Yes. <laughs> Her and Connie She's Smith invested both, a lot anyway. into all that, too, so. Well, here's here's my bottom line on this. All the and it's not just these these fan things, but but people that are and and bless them for trying to do what they're they're trying to do. But these guys that are are fans that have have become commoters, you know what makes them think that they're going to all of a sudden make money when Ron Fuller went out of business, Jerry Oates went out of business. Jim Crockett went out of business. Ed Farhat went out of business. Roy Shire went out of business. Bob Geigel went out of business. Fritz von Erich went out of business. These people knew a whole lot more about the business other than being a fan. What makes them think they're going to make a dime when none of these people could? They had been doing it for years. They're, they're just As people Jerry that... says, it's over. Turn out the lights, as Don Meredith would say. I mean, it is. I have a fellow... Oh, this was six months ago, seven months ago. He he messaged me on Facebook. I read it. He was having some kind of deal like that. Never mentioned no funds. He said that I could come up there and sell my pick in Villa Rica. Sounds like a fun day. Well, yeah. The the guy in Charlotte's always been pretty successful several years ago, more so than today. But uh, to to my knowledge, that seems to be the only one, uh, you know, at least in the southeast, that uh, has has had success by bringing uh, the old timers together. And the fan base there in the Carolinas seems to be pretty strong for them. But outside of that, I know of no other place, at least in the southeast, maybe in New York, that area. Uh, that this kind of thing will work anymore. They've had a couple of things down in Tampa, but it's been a while since they've done that too. Because it, it just, you know, a lot of the guys that the, the people are familiar with are gone. That's the ticket. That's a, they're older than we were. Yeah. <laughs> so there's nobody left. I mean, it's, it's, it's right, like it's right, like Joe Turner told, told Ken Lucas before, when both of them were still alive. Ken, do you realize that all all the uh, the women that used to come see you at the matches are, are now on walkers and in, in nursing homes? <laughs> I mean, right, listen, there, listen. Go, ahead, go ahead, Jay. I was just going to say there there were thirty westerns on the air in 1960. 
by the time Gunsmoke went off the air in 1975, that was the last one. But can you think about all the people that starred in those 30 Westerns, how many of them would actually still be around today if they held some type of show where you could go and get autographs? Almost nil. So, you know. Exactly, exactly. And the people that would remember them are retired or on a fixed income, and they wouldn't they wouldn't want to pay what they would want because you know it, it's another another thing too is these guys they want more than they're worth to come to these things and I'm not I'm not knocking anybody you get what you can while you can but you know I mean I just if you didn't get it in your heyday you ain't getting it now. No, yep. and, I, and it's really sad. It is. I, mean, I just, I mean, I'm I'm glad that that uh, you know, some of these guys are able to, uh, you know, still garner and make a buck here and there. But uh, I just, uh, and, and like Mike said, you know, if you could have been a booker or a promoter or something like that to ease your way, uh, referee, which is really no easy way to ease your way out of the business, uh, you know. But honestly, as we all know, there's no. And Jerry has mentioned this. There is no place for these folks to work. So legitimately. Well, this is no disrespect to anybody about refereeing, but I got news for you. <laughs> we didn't work one match for 15 minutes and take a shower. I got it. We, I'm saying it we was worked tough. every match on the card. And you know these, you know a lot of these guys that, that kind of worked their way into refereeing. You know some of them made it and some of them didn't, because it was a totally different different mindset. You know, I mean, as Rodesto told me, you're not part of the show unless I say you're part of the show. You're a you're an official. So you know, uh, I know I know Frank Morrell. Frank Morrell did it for who, a long time up in Tennessee. But uh, you think about guys like Charlie Harbin and uh, Charlie yeah. Carr and uh, uh, um, Charlie Lay down in Florida that that you know ended up refereeing or and. Or working in the office or something like that, um, you know, as they got they got older in their their um, active careers. It was I'm not saying it was was easier. It, it certainly wasn't because I know the type of of like you said you you go to some of these spot shows and you'd end up working on all six matches on the card that night. It wasn't easy physically. It wasn't easier physically, but it was more believable. Yep. Um, He's Bronco Lubitsch, who you know, who took 25 minutes to get down on him to make a count. He was busy um, lighting. He was busy lighting spritz of cigars when I was there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, up in the Carolinas, somebody I know Jerry was familiar with. You know, Sonny Fargo and, and Angelo Martinelli. You know, guys, guys like that who's Tommy Young. Yeah. Well, Tommy. Well, yeah. He he did wrestle. For about a, a minute and a half for the sheik, but uh, Hugh Swartz was up there when I was there. Stu was a yeah. good referee. Yeah. Yes, he was. Dudley, I got I to know something else about Dudley. And Bobby, you seem to be a fountain of information on that. <laughs> <laughs> Give me as close as you can uh, a few names if you know what they were promised they were going to get, such as Ole Anderson. I have no idea. You never that's heard been, any. That's been figures. kept kind of quiet. Yeah. So what happened? They went down there and they got financially embarrassed. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. All sorts of embarrassed. Yeah. You never no, heard I haven't figures. heard. 
I haven't heard any dollar figures about what anybody was promised. Would you say he well, promised like more said, 500 bucks? I, I bet you some of them were promised more than that. Yeah. Well, so you, you figure a payroll of my gosh, fifteen thousand dollars. I was told. I was told by someone, and here again, I'm just you know. <laughs> I was, I'll be honest, I was nosy. I got on the phone calling people, talking to different people that was that, that could talk to people that, you know, just, but I was told, and I heard this from more than one person, they said he would have had to have sold $30,000 worth of tickets to broke even. And that's well, with what he promised people. Well, if he actually did take in $10,000 uh, based on the figures that you put out there, somewhere in that, you know, ballpark, that he must have had a hell of a lot of overhead uh, in order to be in the position that he was where he was looking for his mama's checkbook. Well, here's what I would have done. I could have helped him out. When I got there and saw it fell apart on him, I would tell him, if you give me my money, I'm going to get you out of this. I heard the sheik tell one night that the box office got robbed. <laughs> yep. I could have helped him out some, as long as he give me my money and I'm out of there. Yeah. <laughs> What what I, the story that I heard it, it is is close to what I to think what happened when the sheriff got there and he finally sorted out what had went on. The guy's story was he had the money, but it was in the bank, and all he could get out of the ATM was five hundred dollars cash. So the sheriff told him, "Well, you gonna write these fellas all a check?" And they said they said the sheriff took a picture of him writing each check and then took a picture of the check. And they said that they, he wrote 35 or 34 checks. Mm. And these were, were, we're talking felony here. We're not talking about misdemeanor, each one. Yeah. And then later on it came out that it wasn't even his checkbook, it was his mama. So now they got him for forgery. <laughs> so I, the sheriff told him, they said the sheriff told him, he said, the first person that calls me Monday and says, my check won't clear the bank, he said, I'm coming out to your house and arresting you. So well, the, I last, the latest I heard, I haven't heard anything since early in the week, they were still waiting to see how many of those checks bounced so they'd know exactly how many charges to, to hold against him. Well, that could what, be. Was this this past Saturday night? Yeah. Yes. I heard early Sunday morning from the sheriff's department there was a man with a U-Haul come through here doing 111 miles an hour. <laughs> probably him. Yeah, it was probably him. Well, he was you probably know, looking when, for somewhere to drive off a short pier. He was, well, you know, he was when, when the smoke clears, if this guy beats all of this, you know, give it a few months and he's stupid enough where he might try it again. I mean, you know, you just. Yeah. Don't put that past him somewhere else. <laughs> But who's going to get the gun, though? Right. Well, from what I understand, this is not the first time he's done something similar to this. I don't know any details of that, but I've heard he's 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 left some people hanging in in the past. So evidently, he's from Dublin. He's from Dublin. I have no clue. Well, wasn't this thing originally set up for Dublin, and they had to move it? Well, yeah, it originally started out in Dublin somewhere. And then they said it got so big that the place where they were going to have it wasn't big enough, and uh, then they uh, they moved it. 
uh, as it turned out, they could have held it in one of them little Sears metal buildings you buy. Did, did, yeah. Now, when you talk about matches, who were the matches? He never. I never did see on that poster any listing of any actual matches. But I know he had some that were supposed to be performing, but I, I have no clue. I never saw a breakdown of actual matches. He just listed, you know, the name of of former people that you know former workers that were going to be there. You know, on something like that, you 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 almost have to have the money in your hand before you start making all these commitments. Oh yes, oh yeah, oh yeah. All right. I- I guess also based on the number of people, some of these guys thought their marketability was such that they were going to sell a ton of autographs and pictures. Sure, you know? yeah. But they probably didn't know that that you know he was already going to going to get a hundred dollars out of those people's pockets before they even got in the door. To probably didn't have well, any money left to get anything from them. I tell you what, we'll really wrap this thing up. The top it all. If he'd have had punch, punch drunk Billy in Wichita selling T-shirts, listen. I talked to, I called, I called. I, I didn't talk to Pritchard. I didn't talk to Tom, but I talked to somebody that talks to him on a regular basis. And he said, he said he was sitting there. He said this was after he come out of the seminar, and he was sitting there just kind of watching to see what went down, and he said, the sheriff's sitting there, and he said, everybody's screaming and yelling, and the guy's starting to write these checks, and he said, some guy that he didn't even know come up to him, and he was supposedly the assistant promoter or something, or he was just helping this guy, and he come up to Pritchard, and he said, uh, you're going to be in the fourth match tonight in the sixth month. <laughs> he said, you think I'm going to work tonight? I can't even get my money for being here. <laughs> So, you know, I mean, these people didn't, I mean, it was just. So, so the mouse didn't go off too good, huh? No, it's it's funny to me because I wasn't there. It probably wasn't funny to them guys, but. <laughs> it's funny to me because there's that big idiots to go for it. I'm telling you. Well, you know, this could be the the final straw there. I mean, just think about it. it what this has come down to with that number of people uh, <laughs> charging that much money and ending in the fiasco that's in, let's hope that folks, at least in the uh, semi-immediate area here, that were stars that are still around will understand this can't this can't possibly happen, and that they better stay home. Well, now I'm I'm hoping that uh, I'm hoping whoever the people are that we're talking about trying to run Columbus in October, I'm hope they learn something from this. Well, I talked to my dearest friend in Columbus uh, tonight about 6.30. He called me, and he was going on about Dudley. I said, I can't believe you mentioned Dudley. I said, I saw something about what we were talking about tonight is Dudley. He was kind of giving me some highlights from what he had heard, and then he talked about this thing in Columbus. I said, this guy evidently hadn't got that sheet from that Pacific Center yet. I'm telling you, I got one, what it takes. Yeah. He wouldn't draw a hundred people in Columbus, Georgia. No, sir. I mean, how long has it been since there's been a legit booking office style match in Columbus? Oh, my gosh. Oh, geez. I couldn't tell you. 
probably 85, 86, maybe, 84, when Ole yeah. was still yeah. trying to run. And the thing yeah, was, and you, you know, I mean, there ain't, there's nobody, there ain't no name, nowhere with any drawing ability that you could put on the card that would draw a house down there, except maybe no, the rock. No, <laughs> you know. No, it's. You know, it's fun to talk about and all. I mean, and I, I mean, I've reached. You know, even I tried to run, and that was insanity. Uh, but to, to think you you can do it today, and with no TV, no nothing, no no, as you said, no names, it's impossible. It's just, you know, you you can't you you can't charge enough to to pay for the building. And they're going to want you to have a liability insurance policy, and they don't give those things away. I mean, it's no, impossible. It's impossible. It, even what we knew, you couldn't do it today because of the price of these buildings today on a weekly basis. You imagine trying to bust that nut there in Columbus every week, a minimum of ten grand. Oh, that's just counting. That's not counting the ambulance and the cops. You got to have so many cops, minimum four hours and all that. I mean, you you, you might as well. Sell boiled peanuts somewhere, huh? Uh, based on the show we did, we we you talked about your experiences, uh, Jerry, trying to run. You ought to run a seminar on why you can't possibly do this, you know. And and honestly, uh, if anybody had a chance to do it, and it was you, and and the amount of money you spent trying to do it was just unbelievable. I had a beautiful, beautiful building. Uh, everything was, I mean, first class. Had a lot of people helping me do it, and my dear friend there, he, Toby Fuller, he he helped me from day one, and I could never repay him for what he did for me. And he did he did it as a friend, and it just it you you, you just can't. We had we had quite a few good houses, but you know it was just. You can't do it. You, you, you can't do it. You, you know, it, you you couldn't do it. You couldn't do it if if you had several million dollars to do it. You couldn't promote this state and make make a quarter. You couldn't do it. Well, number no, one, you know, even if you had a if you had a, the first thing you'd have to do is have a TV, and you would have to, you would have to run that TV for a long time to create your own stars. Right, and then second of all, the cat's out of the bag. <laughs> you know, no matter how good of workers you could, you know, as good a trainer as Jerry was, uh, and then you know the the best workers he had, the cat's out of the bag. Everybody knows it's work, and 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 you can't. One of the reasons we drew what we drew, we sold it as real. And right. people thought they knew what was going on, but they wasn't sure. And as long as there was that iota of doubt, you know, my favorite my favorite thing is the guys on the front row every week. They'd go, you know, I know that I know it's all put on, but I was there the night Jerry Oates got mad at, at Ronnie Garvin, and they just beat the crap out of each other. And they probably, if they've ever threw a tater between each other, it was an accident. You know, and another thing too is is you know back in back in our day. There was no such thing as 
internet and and sixty five exactly. right. smart TVs where you can watch a, a match from nineteen fifty on YouTube on your television and it looks like you you sitting at ringside. And it's you know it doesn't cost you anything. It's so going internet another, bill every month. Another prime example of stuff how how things change over the years. Look at NASCAR. When they ran the last race at Indy, they didn't even have 50,000 people there. That thing holds 250,000. They've monkeyed with NASCAR so much, the NASCAR people, they they keep fooling with those cars and people are bored watching it now. There's no really, you know, if you're going to have racing, you got to make it safe for the fans. I understand that. Have them sit back even thir- further and put up some kind of fencing that could contain a car, and let them take the bridle off, and you couldn't get you couldn't you couldn't get a ticket to it. Uh, and those guys drive them as fast as they let them drive them. What I see is twenty-year-old guys in spacesuits, you know, now driving it. these cars. And but, but NASCAR it, fools with them, you know. They they taking the spoilers off the back. It's just you know where they, those spoilers is what keeps those cars on the track. They 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 they, they have shot themselves in the foot. And they running this weekend in Bristol. Bristol, they say you couldn't get a ticket. It's like trying to get a ticket in Green Bay. Now they've taken seats out. They took out like thirty thousand seats in Charlotte. Now what does that tell you? You. you, you there's some things you can't monkey with, and, and of course our business got monkeyed with by that man up up north there, and, and, and as Bobby said, it's, it's, it's done. It's old. Yeah. It's done. Well, he's you continuing to monkey. I told you the last crowd they had down here. I didn't even know. I didn't even know those people were in town till Monday morning, a Monday afternoon at the gym. Some girl told me she went to. Them. He's he talking about Bristol, Jerry. Let me let me tell you what still does draw. She said it wasn't anywhere near full. And you can't fill up the Civic Center in Savannah, Georgia, in this outline this outlying area of Savannah, Georgia. I mean, there's there's just thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people. You you got towns like Tula, Georgia, it's gone crazy. It's they building. You got Richmond Hill. You got South Carolina right across the river. You got you got Brunswick. It's not that far away. Yeah, yeah, not, yeah. And they couldn't fill that building up. They couldn't. What chances a guy in Columbus, Georgia, got with no names? You mentioned Bristol. Let me tell you what they're doing up there this year. They run that race Saturday night, and as soon as that race is over, they're tearing the infield up up there. That concrete infield, they're tearing all that up, and they're going to sod it with artificial. I'm assuming it's artificial turf. They're going to play the Virginia Tech-Tennessee football game there this year. They have, they have already sold 100,000 tickets. Wow. I thought you were going to say they were going to have a wrestling match up there. Who's the going to play there, Bobby? Tennessee and Virginia Tech. Bristol's about halfway game. between Knoxville and uh, and uh, Blacksburg, so it's kind of a halfway Bobby, point. Bobby, that's what they used to draw at NASCAR races there in Bristol. Yes, sir. You couldn't get a ticket to that place. I'm not a I'm not a huge NASCAR fan, but that's the one race I've always said I'd like to go see. I would. It's like racing. Are, are they going Are they going to televise that that uh, football game? I'm sure they will, because that'll be worth watching just to see uh, Bo and Missy James get into a fist fight over over the two teams and then. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Missy. Missy's a, a VT 
fan and and Bo's a, a diehard Tennessee, Tennessee fan. Tennessee fan, so yeah. They ought to get in a fist fight over that. And I'm sure they'll be at that game because Bristol's right down the road from them. Yeah, that's a, but yeah, that's a big deal up there this year. They're going to play that football game there. I think they've got a contract to play that game there for two or three years. I think, but uh, uh, I, I, I'll watch that one for sure. Yeah, me too. That would, and, that and would another be thing, uh, another thing about promotions, you know, there's no. I mean, you're talking about running these these what five major towns in Columbus every week, every week, every week, every week. Uh, Saturday night towns, you ran them every week, every week, every week. We first of all, if somebody had the money, if they had the money and wanted to do it, there's nobody smart enough now that could even come close to pulling it off. They're all dead. Yeah. You, you there's no way you could. A whole uh, interest of, 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 of uh, you know running weekly. That, that's that's that. that, uh, that there's too many. Number. There's too many distractions. That's, that's what I saw. Too you many. know, for the for those years traveling with the circus, you've got too much competition out there for something like that. And then the, and when you price yourself out of out of the market for it, on top of of that, you know, there's between three hundred. Or 500 channels on television, and right. you know, uh, yeah, I'm surprised people go to the movies anymore. Well, uh, as much TV, as much TV as McMahon's got, you know, uh, he he's not going to make any money off of doing house shows. You know, it's just it's uh, it's a it's a lost art. Uh, what has taken the place of that is uh, mixed martial arts, which which does pretty good, and uh, you know, it's not. At least it's not been admitted to at this point to be a work. But uh, I was going to say, I wonder how much longer it'll be before they start working those. Well, you know, there's there's professional wrestlers now getting into the mixed martial arts business, and even McMahon has decided to take a bite of the pie and uh, cross promote now. So it's it's you know, the purity of it, if if you can call it purity, because it is very brutal, uh, is going to be uh, muddled by. Uh, McMahon. That's that's a new phrase. Muddled by McMahon. I, I'm surprised he hadn't opened up his own. Well, see, well, that's I what, think uh, would... when his when his son supposedly left there, that's what he went into business doing. He went in a partnership with some of these MMA people. Right. And I think that's what you know. Now that he's back in the, and not that I, I don't believe he ever left the. the the old man's business, but you know, he was probably out there taking notes and spying on, you know, what was working and what wasn't in the MMA world. Yep. And, uh, you know, that's probably the next thing he'll try that'll be a disaster, just like XFL and his World Bodybuilding Federation and everything else he's ever tried to do. Well, McMahon's got to, McMahon's got to own everything. I mean, you know, he's, he's like Donald Trump in that aspect, in my opinion. Uh, if there's money to be made, He's he he's he's got to have his brand on it, and uh, he he he's working behind the scenes, in my opinion, every minute trying to decide how he can work that. But but to show you his ego to think for one minute that you could buck the NFL, uh, that's pretty serious. <laughs> well, you know, he ran that bodybuilding uh, franchise too, and uh, couldn't you know couldn't make a could make it make it work. So that was the next thing after that was the football deal, 
and he was trying to come back and save face after the bodybuilding franchise. And, uh, uh, you know, he's he, he's got enough money that he can cut his losses. Uh, now, he does have uh, people that uh, own stock that expect him to make money. And uh, I, from what I'm reading, he's making plenty of it, but it's not so much off of the matches themselves, but off of the product that he's, uh, you know, the other products that he's selling, merchandising and rights to to cable and things of that nature. I have a, I have a dear friend here in Savannah, biggest wrestling fan in the world. He bought stock when it hit the market. I get his royalty checks every time he gets one. He gives them to me. You know how much they are? How much? The biggest, the biggest one I've seen is thirteen cents. <laughs> no, no, I'm telling you, I may have one around here somewhere. He gave me, the, and, and usually they're eleven cents. He he gets a check for that. How he, many shares I, does he have? I I don't know. I read just this week on something they. You know, uh, because of the the SEC or the Exchange Commission or whatever you call it, you know, when you sell stock on an open thing, it has to be listed. McMahon sold uh, over a million shares, I think it was a million, million something shares of company stock because it's it's some kind of tax shelter thing he's doing for for his family. Uh, but he sold a bunch of the stock. He said he he has no plans to sell any more, but but he sold. Huge amount of stock this week. He's probably like Eddie Graham. He's selling 140 percent of his of his his uh, business. <laughs> oh man, this is about the roughest night I've ever had on this show. <laughs> I don't know, Jerry. The night you the night you talked about uh, the from the beginning until the end of your promotion there and how much money you spent, I was. I was totally worn out by the time that night was over. Uh, How you do know. you think I felt? <laughs> oh. You know, it, it, we, we we had a the biggest night we had. That's the night we had Dusty there, Tully there, Ronnie Garvin, special referee. I mean, it's one of I got put in jail by the fire marshal. But but you you can't do that every week. You, you, you know. He brought the butcher in. Oh, did the butcher go to Dudley? No, I don't know. I don't think I don't think he was listed. Well, if he'd have been there, that boy had a fork in his forehead when he was over. <laughs> <laughs> Served him up. Oh man! I hate to see anybody lose money trying to do something. But you, you, if you don't have the money, if I hadn't had the money, I couldn't have even got the first base with that building and all the stuff it took to do it there. It was mind-boggling. You go try to open a building and fix it the way I had it. See, it's mind-boggling. I hate to see anybody lose money, but anybody who have tried that in Dudley, Georgia, he needs to be in Milledgeville. Well, that may be where he tries it next. I mean, if you, you know, that's a good point. If you were going to do something like that, why would you not have tried to have do it in Atlanta or in Macon, you know, or at least somewhere, uh, a city of, of, you know, 
at least you would have had a better chance of it doing something. Hmm. I've been coming up down 16 from Columbus to Savannah since 1970, and I've never been in Dudley. I've ridden by it many times, been in it one time. I'm going to tell you how I knew about Dudley, Georgia. When you Years ago, when you went out of Macon, going towards Savannah, back before the interstate was finished, there used to be a sign just past the Coliseum there on the right side going going east, and it said, no services next 53 miles. That's correct. And they wasn't jack squat down that road. I mean, it was dark. But there was a little truck stop about a half a mile off the road there in at that Dudley exit that was open 24 hours a day. They didn't have no... No advertisement or nothing. I just didn't. We just, I don't even remember how we found it. But it was there. You could stop and get a Coca-Cola or you could go to the bathroom or just whatever you need to do. But we found it there. That's how I knew about Dudley. And then the night that, that Mr. Ward ran it, and that's the gospel truth. I'm not exaggerating. There was 10, maybe 15 people in the building at 8 o'clock. And Mr. Ward started his shows at 8.15. And I asked Choo-Choo, I hadn't even, we hadn't, nobody had even got dressed. I asked Choo-Choo, I said, what are we going to do? And he said, i got to go call Mr. Ward. And he left the building. They didn't even have a phone in the building. He went up a road somewhere to a pay phone. And he come back. It was about 15 after when he got back. And he come back there to me and he said, tell him to get dressed. He said, Mr. Ward's afraid if we don't run it, we're going to hurt Macon. And how are you going to do that? Well, I mean, I don't know, but you know that. You, you, you know that truck stop you're talking about was open 24 hours a day. Uh huh. I stopped in there one night leaving Savannah. Yeah. And when I pulled, when I got there, they was locking the door. I got there about 11:30, quarter 12. I said, "It says you're open 24 hours a day." He says, "We are, but not in a row." <laughs> <laughs> That was a real, real lonely road. It was very easy to start falling asleep, particularly if you were driving by yourself. Oh, please. Oh, I used to leave out of here going back to Columbus on Tuesday nights. You didn't think you'd ever get to Columbus. Oh, it was hard, a horrible trip. Had about 100 miles of two-lane road up through them cities up there, and them cops knew we were coming. They looked for us. Go through matter and all that matter? Yes, sir. Well, besides you and Choo Choo, Bobby, who else was? Do you remember who else was on that card in Dudley? Well, I don't remember. I'm just, I'm just wondering what the main event would have been. The main event was a tag team match, and it was Ray Candy and and Rocky Johnson against somebody. I don't remember who they worked with, but the reason I remember that was, you know, there's nobody there, so we were having a good time, and they convinced Ray Candy to make a big comeback in the main event, and Rocky was going to give him a hot tag. And they convinced Ray Candy to jump the top rope coming in the ring. So every time I went around and got close to a turnbuckle, I would loosen the rope a little bit. When I was refereeing in the main event, I'd go loosen it a little. We had the top rope sagging where he could get over it. Rocky gave him the hot tag, and when Ray tried to jump the top rope, he got his foot tangled in the ropes and fell on his face. So that's the reason I remember that. But it it was... uh, other than that, there's not much memorable about that night. <laughs> so did you hold the ten people through the entire night? Oh, yeah. We were, I mean, you know, the matches probably lasted an hour and a half. We went out and we did our thing. 
Well, I know one thing. I know a 30 guys Saturday night will remember, Dudley. Yes, sir. Well, I hope their check's cleared, you know. You was talking about that I-16. I come out of some, with 19, uh, 1973. The first car I ever bought was a 62 Mercury Meteor. And uh, we redid it. We, my father-in-law helped me, helped me, you know, get the engine good and tight, and everything was good. And when I bought it, I had to replace the rear seal in the engine. And this little car run like a champ. It run like a champ. Everybody laughed at me, but the thing got great gas mileage, and it run good, and it was paid for. Right. And I had to go. I had to go to Statesboro. On a, oh, I don't even remember what night of the week it was. They didn't run it. My, my, I guess it was, I'm thinking, Mr. Newman, it was probably right at the beginning. I don't remember. We went to Statesboro, and I worked, and I was coming home, and I had just got back to I-16 and was coming up, and that little car threw a rod. It let me down right there on the side of the road. And they wasn't jack squat out there back in. It was dark. And I got out, found out later on the that rear seal I had replaced, the drive shaft was a little warped and it hollowed it out. And I didn't know what had happened all at once. So I got out of the car and started walking. And uh, I was walking up I-16. Some guy stopped and gave me a ride. And I got out. There used to be a, and, and, and Jerry, you'll remember this, at 441, the only thing there, there was a Holiday Inn. That's correct. I started up that, the guy let me out of his car and I started walking up that ramp toward that Holiday Inn. This is the God's honest truth. As I got to the top of that ramp, they turned a the no vacancy sign on. <laughs> wow. Sure did. I walked in there, and I explained what had happened, told the guy, and the guy said, well, he said, I can't help you. I'm full here. He said, let me, he said, I'll see if I can help you. Sit down right there. Next thing I know, the the, pull, the sheriff or something pulled up and come in and told me, you know, what was going on, or, you know, asked me what happened. I told him. He took me over into Dublin to the Br'er Rabbit Motel. <laughs> I can still remember, and I checked. I stayed at the Br'er Rabbit Motel. Got up the next morning, called my father-in-law. Well, actually, he wasn't even my father-in-law yet. I called him in Columbus and told him where I was and what it was. And he said that he knew right where I was because he used to come from when he would come from when he was stationed in North Carolina back to Moultrie, where he was from. He came down 441, and he remembered that little hotel. And he came over and picked me up, and we went out there and used a tow bar, and we towed that little old car back to Columbus, and I traded it in that day and bought my Dodge. But, yeah, it was... I bet you did. That I-16, man, what a... oh. You know, and and to think of the scary things that we did then that we're so dependent on cell phones now that we wouldn't even think about trying to do. You Tell know? me about it. I, you know, I, there was no even, not even such a thing as... as uh, 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 GPS or anything else? How in the world we found half the places that we uh, ended up no working? Idea. I couldn't. I couldn't show you Fayette, Alabama, on a map, but I, I wrestled there every week. <clears throat> well, that's another thing too. It didn't matter where we went back then, whether it was a big town, small town, or just a dot on the map. If you stopped somewhere and said, "Hey, where's the wrestling at?" Chances are they were going to recognize you and know who you were. And they were going to tell you right where the matches were held. Sure. Mm-hmm. And how to get there. And now you can stop somewhere and say, where the heaven wrestling matches at? And they'll tell you, well, we ain't had wrestling here in 40 years. There right. you go. 
Yeah, I was the uh, same way with this. We 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 mentioned him earlier talking about Tom Pritchard. Today is Tom Pritchard's birthday, so we want to wish him a happy birthday. Happy birthday. And uh, also, like Fred, uh, again... You sound like Fred Ward there doing the happy birthday. Oh, to all my shut-in friends? Six shut-in <laughs> friends, yes. <laughs> but but uh, also, before it, it slips my what's left of my mind, uh, I want to send condolences out to uh, Ron Fuller, Ron Welch, and the, the, the rest of the Welch family. Ron uh, lost... Uh, one of his sons in uh, in a car accident last week. What was it? Oh, the end of the week. Yeah, and uh, and I I don't know any other details. I didn't even know about the car wreck till Bobby told me this evening just before we went on the air. But uh, his son Cole Cole Welch, and I don't know where Cole falls in as far as Ron's children or his age or anything other than that. So, uh, but uh, I cannot imagine. I cannot imagine. That is horrible. Well, Bobby, I was uh, oh, yeah. I was talking to Charlie Smith earlier this week, and he told me that uh, Bobby Simmons is officially elderly now because he had been to his eye doctor, and he has a cataract in his right eye. Is that correct? Well, actually, it's in my left eye, but okay. Yeah, I got to have cataract surgery October fifth, so I'm uh. I have this phobia about my eyes. I don't like using eye. I can't use eye drops. I mean, I just, I really, I don't like anybody to mess with them at all. And I experienced a ultrasound on my eyes the day before yesterday. And when I got out of there, they didn't hurt me. I mean, they did not hurt me. Uh, they, they gave me the proper medicine and everything. But when I got out of there, I was so nervous and so upset. I felt like I had been in a war. Well, I can understand that. You know, the eyes are very something that's very vulnerable. And, What's the eye man and Warner Robins are making, Bobby? That I'm sorry, do what? The, the eye surgeon that did wrestling down there, Warner Robins. Oh, I, I don't remember. A lot of guys, two goes to him. A lot of, a lot of them, yeah. Is that the, is that the guy that uh, is that the guy that ran the matches there for a while? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I heard of him, but I didn't know him. They say he's excellent. Well, I went well, to well, uh, I, I went to the I, same I, doctor that Debbie used to have hers removed. That's the reason I went to him, and he he was very good. I mean, I he explained to me what he's going to do to me, and I wasn't thrilled with it. But I did not realize how bad my left eye was. I I can cover my right eye up, and I I can see the TV, and I know what's going on, but I couldn't make out numbers on the field or anything else. So well, so that's I, where I my right eye is right now. I noticed that with closed caption, you know, that I was watching all these British shows. I had to use closed caption because I couldn't understand the brogue and that it was getting very difficult for me to see the words, and it was my right eye. And my eye doctor I just went back to this past week uh, so I can, uh, you know, relate to what's going on. I had my yearly visit three months ago, and he said, that little cataract you've got in your right eye has now grown 30%. Uh, I went back this week, and he said it's grown another 10%, so you got six months left. And uh, so that's uh, th- that's the way it goes, folks. But supposedly well, Charlie, I, I, Smith I, I, said, Charlie Smith I, I, says I, I, after I, I, you have to, to have before. it done, you're you're in good shape. So, you know. How far does it have to be bad before they remove it or change uh, the lens? 
Well, I guess if you know if you want to go ahead and get it done at any point, but you've got it's got to be so far before your insurance will pay for it. You know, it's got to oh, be I see. I see. a medical. Mine was. Uh, I was first diagnosed with mine about five years ago. They said I had a little cataract, and they said don't worry about it until it starts bothering you. Right. And uh, here recently, I've noticed it bothering me. So I don't know how fast it grew, but it's uh, yeah, it's it's time to get something done. And uh, I grew very quickly. Have you had that hmm? done? Have you uh, had it no, done? Charlie, Charlie Smith told me about his uh, success with it. So, you know, I'm getting ready. But uh, Charlie said it's the, the surgery itself is no problem. And afterwards, you see just like, you know, you don't need glasses. Yeah, 99.8% or 99.9% of people that have this surgery is successful. They put it, you know, they they explain they cut a little eighth of an inch cut in your I guess it's your, uh, is it the cornea? Is that what's in front? And they they suck the little milky stuff out of there, and then they put a new lens in. And when Debbie had it done however many years ago, she had to wear a patch for 24 hours. And uh, he told me the other day, he said, he said, well, they have progressed so much now. He says, you probably won't even need a patch. You'll probably walk out of here seeing better than when you walked in. So that's wonderful. That's yeah. what I'm. I got to find an eye doctor because I got to have mine. My right eye's gotten where it's totally clouded. I, I, I'm forever cleaning my glasses, and it's not the lens on my glasses; it's my right eye. And of I'll course, give you another I, thing I, he told me, guys. He said I have astigmatism in that eye. Well, I've heard the word astigmatism my whole life, did not know what it meant. And he said astigmatism. He said your eyeball is supposed to be round like a basketball. He said, my eye is shaped like a football. He said, it's, it has a high spot, and then it has some, some lower spots, like if you grip the football. He said, now, we can put a lens in where you would probably not need to wear glasses, but it costs an extra $1,000 for that lens, and your insurance won't pay for it because they don't care if you wear glasses or not. <laughs> so I said, well, I'll just take whatever they pay for, and I'll wear glasses. I've worn them so long, it doesn't matter. Right. So, but it's just. You know, insurance is the biggest work since uh, absolutely the Watergate scandal. And they my grandfather's you say it's just a pure racket. Oh, and geez. Obamacare doesn't pay for anything. So there you no, go. No, sir, it doesn't. Well, Bobby, I heard that lens thing that you're talking about. Uh huh. The one that costs more money. Yeah. I heard that. In, I've heard some people have that done, and they dissatisfied as heck with it. Well, yeah, I'm just going I for just the regular thing. thing. Yeah. That's what I do. I, you know. I called. My, my told me had when it I, done, and she she never had any problems with it. So, when I first come out of the doctor's office, we were getting ready to we had set up the surgery date and so forth. And I said, "Well, uh, you know, anything else?" She goes, "Yes." Said we've sent eye drops to your pharmacy, and said uh, the uh, you need to start taking using these eye drops three days prior to surgery. So I said, "Okay." So. They called me from the pharmacy and said they were ready. So I went by there last night to pick them up. Three little bottles of eye drops, and I promise you these bottles are about maybe three-quarters of an inch tall, all three of them. And those eye drops, after my insurance got through paying, I still had to pay $400 out of my pocket. Holy moly. Yes, sir. Two of them. Two of them, there are no generic for two of them. And, of course, when you get a name-brand uh, pharmaceutical, your insurance don't want to pay anything. Right. So it wound up wound up costing me was three hundred ninety nine dollars and eighteen cents. 
I just mm-hmm. got me some pyrethrene and put it in there. That's a that's a hunk of change, buddy. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So I don't know what surgery's going to cost, but it's like one of those things where I have no choice. I I got to be able to see. So. Well, you didn't you say that you were able to uh, uh, get Medicare because of uh, some particular situation being a. No, I can't get Medicare till I'm 65. Okay. So you've got the insurance that you retired with through your company, right? I have the Cobra, yes. And and I was, you know, you're talking about Obamacare. Uh, I called uh, the insurance agent, which is a friend of mine that I've known for years through work, that used to furnish, all, you know, take care of our insurance. He told me because of Obamacare, you cannot just go out and purchase hospitalization insurance anymore. You can't just call Blue Cross Blue Shield and go, hey, I need some insurance. The only time you can buy insurance is from November to January when they have what they call the open enrollment, like if you were on a group plan. And he told me, he said, last year, for my age, the cheapest thing he had to offer me through Obamacare was $500 a month. Right. And he said and, and he said it was the pits. He said the yeah, deductible and, was so high you can't do anything. Yep, which is where I'm at right. now with what I've got. You're just you just have insurance is all it is. You know, that's you it. check the box. You check the box, yes I've got insurance. But your upfront costs and your deductible uh are so high uh that you can't use it. That's exactly right. That's where I'm at. And I'm paying three hundred and twenty three dollars a month for this insurance. I have to spend forty one hundred dollars, I think, a year out of my pocket before it pays anything. Holy Christ! I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. that... My insurance, the insurance I just got, you know, I, I just got rid of in May when I went on to Medicare. And and don't we sound like a bunch of old men and at the yeah, nursing homes? <laughs> but my oh. insurance was nine hundred dollars a month, and my deductible was thirty five hundred dollars. Yeah, it's nine hundred a month. Nine hundred a month. I sure I I didn't make enough money to even qualify for Obamacare. They told me you should be on Medicare. I said, Well, I'm I'm you know I will be eventually, but I gotta wait till I'm disabled uh two years before I can get on Medicare. Right. And I gotta yep. have something in the meantime. And my first hospital bill from that from the time I got sick when I was in the hospital and didn't have insurance was uh, $450,000. My God. I mean, this last go-around, right now, what's still pending that Medicare, between between Medicare and uh, uh, Humana hasn't paid yet, is still pending, is 38000 well, the good thing about Medicare is if you want to go to a doctor that accepts Medicare, because once it don't matter if your doctor charges you ten thousand dollars, if Medicare sets the fee for that service at four hundred dollars, then that's what Medicare is going to pay. And other than the deductible, you don't have to pay anything else. Yeah, my surgeon, my surgeon, when I called to check on my on my bills where where everything stood, so I could start trying to make arrangements to pay. Uh, my surgeon's office told me that they they automatically signed me up for some program. I didn't owe him a dime. Yep. I said, "Well, pass yep. that information to the hospital, so I don't have to owe them a dime." But I, it didn't work that way. 
Yep, I'm sure I'm glad I retired from the Army as a civilian because they pay 80% of my uh, insurance cost. It's not free, you know, and uh, I pay about $120 a month, and then I pay another 135 a month for well, my insurance Medicare. went. Uh, my insurance went from uh, $839 a month, what I was paying Humana, no, it was 865 a month, what I was paying Humana this last go-around, I now pay Humana $55 a month, and uh, $140 comes out of my um, my um, Social Security every month to pay for the right, Medicare. Right, for, for Medicare. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's not bad. That's not bad at all. And well, you don't have to pay any. Go ahead, Jerry. Go ahead. I, I, I was I, just going to really say. <laughs> Go ahead. No, 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 that's it. Uh, we, we were just, like you said, comparing old folks home here, and I think yeah, Jerry's heard enough. Is that right? <laughs> I, I'm, I've wound up from from cataract surgeries, which I know I'm going to have to have one, to the insurance, to Dudley. I can't take any more, and I'm glad there's an emergency room nurse that lives in this building. I'm going to well, I'm, I'm going over and get a physical. Maybe she'll give you an Ambien, Jerry, so you could sleep tonight. You know. Yeah. We enjoyed it, man. You uh, gave us some good I stuff tonight. It, it's been horrible. It's been horrible. <laughs> well, as, as as our dear friend Bill Bowman used to say, we've whooped everybody in the territory. <laughs> we have done that, gentlemen. I don't think we can top this. We. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll see you guys next week. All right, All right, night, night, oh, wait a minute. Uh, we're, we're not going to do a show next week. I'm going to have uh, I'm going to have uh, over overnight company next week, so I'm not going. We're not going to do a show next week unless you guys want to do it without me. No, that, no, well, that's, we'll that's take a break. Yeah, we'll take. It's going to take me two weeks to get over this. So. <laughs> All right, so so we'll All be right. back in we'll be back in two weeks. Two Bobby, weeks, when yeah. is your surgery? October the fifth. Oh, we'll see right, you so that, Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay, Jerry. Good, good night. night, guys. Good, good night, night, Jerry. Good night. Bye. Bye. And uh, some good news. My daughter is back from Cambodia. She got back at uh, 4.30 uh, Monday night, or 4.30 Tuesday morning, I should say. Got home safely and uh, safe and sound, so it's good to have her back. I hadn't seen her yet. I won't see her till next weekend, but... Uh, uh, that's uh, not being able to, to talk to her on the phone and everything, and having to rely on on Facebook messaging is not uh, not something I'd, I'd care to do for longer than a couple of weeks. <laughs> well, uh, you know, we've uh, talked about some interesting stuff tonight. Uh, let's see what Dennis Mitchell's got to say about our conversation. Dennis, you there? <laughs> How's that y'all doing tonight? Well, we're in pretty bad shape if you've been listening to the show. <laughs> yeah, I understand. But guys, say Dudley, Georgia takes the cake tonight, man. This is one of y'all's best shows. Jared had a little pep in the step tonight, guys, about Dudley. I tell you. I'm wondering, you know, if Jerry Oates wasn't a pro wrestler, he would have been a good stand-up comic in my opinion. <laughs> but this dry sense of humor. Yeah, it had to have been part of a team, you know, the uh, 
the straight man feeding the lines. But yeah, you're right. He could have done it. I tell you that Greg Green guy y'all was talking about over in Dudley. I think he's gonna have to serve some jail time from what y'all was talking about. The way he well, considering what he who what he did and who he did it with, he's probably safer in jail. Cause, uh, yeah, well, he's lucky Ole's in a wheelchair. If Ole was <laughs> healthy and all, Ole, he wouldn't last five minutes with Ole. Well, well even Paul with Ole in a wheelchair. He's not one to aggravate either. And even even in, in bad a shape as, as Paul is right now, I'm sure he could probably take the guy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy, I tell you, this is what makes wrestling what wrestling is. Today and yesterday, and y'all's time, or was, and the way you got these flim flam promoters who want to be like Elvis' manager, Colonel Tom Parker, wannabes, and they ruin that for everybody. Spirit of Jack Pfeffer is still, still alive and well in some of these folks, and they don't even know who Jack Pfeffer is, or was. Yeah. I tell you. Say that's. I wonder how bad, how bad it's going to be in Columbus in October. Is it going to be at the center? I'm, I'm hoping these people have smartened up and don't run that thing. I mean, I just, I really, I it just, I hate to see people do this. I mean, they just. I know, Bobby. I tell you, man, I, I don't know if it's going to be at the center October. I might want to go over there and get curiosity gets best of me, you know, guys. And well, see how that's going to yeah, well, if they run it and that's where it's at, stop by and see Charlie Smith. He'll be there. Yeah. <laughs> we we uh, ought to put up a billboard that says, don't do this. You know, that might be. <laughs> yeah. Kind of like, or, or if we can get them to switch it to a Thursday night, we can all go down there and do the show from down there. Do a remote. Oh, man. A yeah, that'd be great, guys. Hell, there'd be more of us than there would be anybody else. <laughs> Well, guys, I want to ask you about one wrestler. I want to ask you, what did y'all think of Stan Lane as a wrestler? Stan was, you know, I I worked with Stan. He'd been only been in the business oh, two, three years when I worked with him, but uh, uh, I always thought he was good. I, I He was a better heel to me than he was a baby, baby face because that's, you know, um, even though he was he was trained by Flair in his early days, he uh, he took a lot of Flair's personality traits, not as far as his his actual life, but but his gimmick. Uh, he didn't, he, and to, to his credit, even though he started out as Nature Boy Stanley Lane, he did not. Uh, he didn't work like Flair and didn't didn't do his any mannerisms as far as his work in the ring, but as far as his his persona that he tried to put over, you know, um, he he t- did a lot of Flair stuff, talking about how wealthy he was and how the women loved him and you know how how good looking he was and all that stuff, and, and it 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 got over. But like I said, he um, he worked for Fuller. Um, in spring and summer, spring I guess more of of eighty one is is how I cross paths with him, and uh, he was he was a good worker. I mean, he had a, a um, 
I think he was an EMT or something there in, in South Carolina or wherever it is he's from, Vero Beach, Florida, wherever it is he's from. But I think he was living in Carolina in Charlotte and was an EMT is how he hooked up with Flair. But uh, yeah. I think he had had uh, a bit of a judo or, or karate background as well. But, but uh, he, was, he was a decent worker, decent worker. And yeah, he, I, he came through. Before I, before he came to Fuller, he was here in Georgia. Mm-hmm. Um, he was the one of the only two people that they put the Georgia Junior Heavyweight, three people they put the Georgia Junior Heavyweight belt on the, the brief time they held that title. And he was in here, to have, ironically enough, teaming with uh, Dennis Condry. Yeah, I remember and, that, yeah. And yep. the two of them became, uh, you know, both of them in the Midnight Express, but not together. Yeah. That's interesting, Michael, you know, about not many, many people knew that, that Stan and Dennis tagged up in 81. I remember that as clear as yesterday. When Dennis... The reason I remember it is because they had a running feud with uh, another short-lived team. It was Kevin Sullivan and uh, Steve Kern, and Kevin Sullivan had nicknames for him. He called... Uh, called Stan Lane Moonface and called uh, uh, Dennis Connery General Custer. That's what <laughs> that's what made that stick out to me. Man, that's amazing. And what other wrestler <laughs> I want to ask you about, what did y'all think of Steve Kern as a wrestler? Oh, he was tremendous. I saw, yeah. I saw Steve probably the first territory that he ever, and of course he broke in in Tampa, he went to school with Mike Graham, and he was a family, you know, uh, like his father was a, was a prisoner of war uh, in Vietnam. When uh, Stan was breaking into the business, and he was very close to Eddie Graham, Eddie Graham was like a uh, second father to him, is how he got in the business to begin with. And he refereed and, and you know, did jobs down in, in Tampa, but the first territory that they that he worked full time in, uh, even though it wasn't but a couple of months, was the Mobile territory. They sent him up to um, to work in Mobile, and uh, at the end of November, and he worked through uh, November '73, and he worked there until uh, the early part of '74. And his first title was uh, he and Ricky Gibson were the United States Tag Team Champions. They had a, a back-and-forth uh, running feud with uh, J.C. Dykes and the Infernos. And the Infernos at that time were um, Curtis Smith and Mike McManus. Man. Well, Man, he, was, he, he was, uh, you know, kind of not a big guy. Uh, I, I thought he was very, very credible in the ring. Uh, you know, a very good worker, and even though he did well, I think he should have ended up being a bigger star than he actually was. You know, sometimes it's just where you are and what's taking place. But he, he was uh, excellent in my opinion. Yeah, he. I agree with you on that. He was a pretty good wrestler, in my opinion. He didn't get to do that he was deserved. You know, he could have been the biggest star. Well, I think star a like lot of that is because even you know. And you can't blame him. He was making great money in Tampa between his tag team with Mike and his singles pushes that he got down there because Eddie used him quite a bit on top. And uh, so he he was home, you know. 
And I yeah. think had he traveled more, he probably would have because he came along, at, you know, in a time when the the business still had plenty of territories. But other than uh, his his short run in, in uh, Georgia and then his runs in Tennessee later on in his career, after Florida kind of started to peter out, and then by the time he and he and Stan Lane were the uh, the fabulous ones. And they were hot property. That's the only time he ever really traveled a lot. But the you know the business was already going in the direction it was going. Um, yeah. As far as well, less he places a, he to go. He had a decent run in New York too. Up there's Gator or whatever he worked. Yeah, whatever. The Skinner. Yeah. The Skinner. Yeah, Skinner. He, he had a decent run. Yeah, he used licorice as tobacco. You know, I didn't know if y'all knew that. He. I did not know that. You learn. I learn something new every day. You know that's what he said on the shooting interview that RF video did with him about a year or two ago, and I I still have it at the house. It was a good shoot interview that they did with him. One other guy was I. I don't know why I should have been surprised that he was in a Dudley. They didn't advertise him in Dudley. I don't think they called him was T Boat Thunderbolt Patterson. I don't know if T Boat went down there or not. I didn't hear nothing about him. If he did. Uh, but yeah, it probably wasn't. wasn't because had knowing T-Boat's uh, habit of doing things, had he been ripped off, he'd have had somebody protesting down there and been been a picket sign thrown over. <laughs> man, man, I I tell you what, what it's awful what Greg Green Green did to those wrestlers, and also in my personal opinion, ripping off the fans. You know, the fans is they're better than they got. My personal. Well, well that's true, Dennis. But buyer beware at this stage, you know. How many times I can know, you leave guys. Well, guys, well, the old saying back in our days was kill the town. That, that certainly, if, if if that didn't kill the town, nothing will. Well, guys, I, kill the promoter. I tell you, I agree. I tell you what, guys, <laughs> I enjoyed the show tonight. This is one of y'all's best shows y'all done. And I tell you, Jerry Oates' blood pressure went up. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, later. I, t- I tell you, Jerry still got a lot of fire in him. And when he gets when you get yeah, get I him did. ticked off about something, he that's a good thing. And guys, guys, y'all have a good night. Thank you. you good too. night, good night Dennis. Take care, bud. Oh. One guy that was at that show, and I wonder, and this has nothing to do with the Dudley show. I think we beat that horse enough. But somebody that that uh, I just just for some reason got to thinking about today, who. Uh, had an amazing career and was uh, was a great worker and, and and in my opinion, probably during his run as a mask man, was probably in the in the top five mask men ever in in professional wrestling with in my opinion a dumb gimmick, and that's uh not uh, not the gimmick itself but the 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 name of the gimmick and that was Bill Eady as a superstar. Um, I, I don't know why that that name just doesn't strike fear in in you know someone like an assassin or a destroyer or you know spoiler or a name like that, you know. And the superstar and and you guys are, are so much older than me, you'll be able to say for sure. But uh, I never heard the term superstar until the the Jesus Christ Superstar musical was a big deal. Yeah, and that's then, when it became uh, in vogue. 
Yeah, and then that's when it got into into the lexicon, and then of course the first wrestler to use it was was Billy Graham. He started using it in you know seventy or seventy one out in, in California, and there had been mass superstars prior to Edie. There was, you know, but they were usually tag teams. There was a superstar tag team in Florida, which was uh, Jerry Lawler and, and Al Green or Don Green. Uh, with Kurt Von Steiger filling in periodically, and then uh, Tarzan Baxter and, and uh, Dick Dunn were the superstars in Tennessee. But for to be starting off, you know, behind the eight ball with with that name, Bill Eadie just, you know, he made that gimmick into. Top five always of all time as far as masks men go, in my opinion. Well, he made the mask look good with the star on it, you know. I wonder how much time went into deciding on a name between the time he went out as uh, one of the, uh, what was he? The uh, Bolo. Bolo Mongol. Yeah, well, the Bolo. It was, it was literally overnight. I mean, he he worked and uh, he was in the in the Charlotte territory, and he worked one town as Bolo Mongo one night, and the next night he debuted as a superstar with Malenko as his manager. With Malenko as his manager. Mm-hmm. So he had a built-in reputation to start with. I mean, you know, they they didn't they didn't start him at the bottom of the heap. He was uh, he was brought in immediately as a as I would yeah, say as, at as least a top a, top guy as yeah. a top guy. Yeah, and uh, you know, and he made he made it work, and he was he he was uh, he'd give you chills with those interviews. He was so oh yeah, he was very down good. to earth and everything. But uh, I just you know I just that name just and again that's just my opinion, but that name just seemed to uh, you know handicap him at at first anyway. But he made it mean something. But, Very uh, class act gentleman too. Yes, he yep. is. He's yes, just he uh, is. Uh, super guy, and had some some great matches. I mean, you think of all the guys just in Georgia that he worked with 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 Walker and with Tommy Rich, and and uh, wasn't he part of of Heenan's army there for a while? Yes, he was. around seventy nine yeah. or so. Yeah, yeah, yep. That was uh, that was one of the things you didn't. Uh, think much of was Heenan as uh, as a manager talking for a guy that could talk for himself, right, Bobby? Well, that's that's what never made sense with, with, to me to them putting him with Bockwinkle, and Bockwinkle could talk circles around him. But well, they may, you know, there again too. That's that's Bobby's opinion. Uh, I, everybody talks about how great he was. I thought you could, talk, could have taught a Jim Pansy to do what he did, but you know, I just yeah, it didn't make sense, but. There again, you, you know, they put him with Carl Cox. That makes sense when he was here. But then they added Superstar to that mix, and that just never. Well, then he came in and, and brought Lonzo with him, right? Yeah, that was the original thing. And that was, another, you know, I never I never got Lanza when he when he came in here. I mean, he just. He, he didn't, didn't fit in. He did not fit the profile of what we had here. And then at some point, Heenan had uh, God. He had every heel in here. At one point, he had Cox. He had uh, Superstar. He had Lonza still. He had uh, 
he had Ernie Ladd and I think Ole briefly when Ole and, and Ernie were at Georgia Tag Team Champions. And there again, two guys who could talk and didn't need a manager. Yeah. Well, there are other purposes for a manager than talking, but yeah, that seems to be the primary, particularly interviews. If the guy can talk for himself, then, uh, you know, why is he there? Because Ernie Ladd, I mean, when Ernie's career was over, he was such a good good talker. Yeah. Had he been had he been five foot ten and and two hundred pounds, he'd have made a, a hell of a manager. But you, I just that was something that killed me in the south in dying days of southeastern when Ron Fuller became a manager. He was managing guys that he was twice as big as. <laughs> that made that made no sense to me. Well, like you said, it was the dying thing. days. Yeah, and Ron was a, he was a, he owned the promotion, so he could do whatever he wanted to, and he he didn't want to do the in in ring stuff anymore, so he became a manager. He was trying to keep it going. Yeah, but anyway. So well, we next have... week, next week you are unavailable. Michael, is that correct? Unavailable, yes, sir. All right. Are you throwing a party or what? No, I've I've got uh, my appointment to see the neurologist on uh, Friday, and it's so early in the morning that the the folks... The Adams family is going to come stay with you. Yeah, the folks (laughs) that are going to take me are going to come spend (laughs) the night with me, so... and you you guys will appreciate this since we, we've been on medical issues. You know, I have had this TPN pick line in me since uh, April 21st. And when I went and saw my surgeon last week and he agreed to take me off the TPN, he was going to um, set up an appointment for sometime within the next week to 10 days for me to have it pulled out because it's what it is, it's a direct line into my... Uh, aorta, whatever it is, so it's not like anybody can just, well, I guess you could, but you shouldn't have just anybody pull it out. It's it's actually got to be done um, in a radiology department because they've got to look at it, you know, see it coming out through an x-ray machine and all that stuff. But anyway, the uh, what I didn't, <clears throat> did, he didn't tell me was he and his whole staff were going on vacation and they were so anxious to go on vacation that they never set me up an appointment. So I'm still sitting here with this thing stuck in my chest. I'd come over and get it out if you need me to. Well, I've, I've got a pair of pliers. I could probably do it myself, but uh, I don't think I'm qualified. No, the insurance wouldn't pay for it if you bought it. No, either, it wouldn't you know. pay for it. So, um, but uh, anyway, so I'm hoping to sometime. Uh, arrange to maybe have that done next Friday as well after the. I see the neurologist, even though it'll probably have to be across town to at another, because I'll probably have to go to the hospital to have it done. But anyway, we'll see. We'll see how that how that works out. So, but I'm so so looking forward to after nearly almost three years of not having something hanging off of my body that I just I don't know how I'm going to act. Well, you've you've come a long way, Michael. I'll tell you that, buddy. Yeah, I think so, and, uh, and still a long way to go, but uh, I'm I'm going to get there. There's no doubt about that. I'm just 
I'm ready well, to I be. think the road's shorter on this end than it is on the other end as far as uh, oh, making yeah, your absolutely. full recovery. Absolutely. And then I'm going to go be the uh, the senior vice president of Smith Novelty Company, and between <laughs> Louise Smith and I, we're going to do a, uh, a leverage buyout and, and, and force Charlie Smith out. Well, not that he not that he heard that because he probably doesn't have his ear his new hearing aids in. Oh, oh, oh! He told me he's got this gimmick now for his TV that he can turn it on and got it from the uh, and uh, he can hear the TV any loudness that he wants to and it doesn't bother anybody else. So he's ready to go. <laughs> I've seen those advertised on TV and made by Ronco or somebody. <laughs> you you buy one of those and you get a propel pro pocket fisherman to go along with it. <sighs> those things actually used to be popular. Oh yeah, they Ron made a bunch Pro-Pil. of money with with you know you remember Mister Microphone? Oh, uh, oh yes. Hey, good looking. We'll be back to pick you up later. The pocket yeah, that fisherman. was on. That was on 17. That was a big Channel 17 commercial. Oh, yeah. That and all the Slim Whitman and Boxcar Willie albums. Yeah. And the Sam Fear and the Pan and Sam the Pan Flute. The pan flute. <laughs> oh. That was what was so enjoyable about watching Channel 17 back in the day. And every once in a while, you catch Dusty Rhodes on a Tom Stimus, uh <laughs> beating on the hood of a van or something. Yeah. Yeah. In Forsyth, Georgia. Listen, the the you know Debbie Debbie worked in the movie industry. She was uh, worked for Benton Film Forwarding, and her and one her and five other women worked in a room, and they they mounted film onto reels to go to the theaters, and and uh, edited uh, if there needed to be anything changed in them for you know instructions from Hollywood or whatever. So we got to go to the place called the Screening Room, which was a a little place up on the north side. It was a little little theater in a in an yeah, office park. It would seat about. Uh, maybe 60 people and that's where they would preview these films to show for the the uh critics and different people so we would get to go sometimes and we went up to see the movie mars attacks with jack nicholson mm-hmm. and i don't know if you saw this movie or not but the way Great they movie, killed yeah. the aliens was by playing slim whitman records and their heads would explode it, had, it was that the actually had a lot of thing star- i have ever seen it had a lot of stars in it I mean, it was. Oh, uh, yeah. You know. Very tongue in cheek. Very tongue in cheek. But we saw that thing, and I, I thought it was the funniest thing I'd ever seen. But the well, best, the best thing that ever happened. One of, those, one of those screening room things you went to, Bobby, I thought about today because I was flipping through and I saw Three Days in Tibet. On, Listen, on we, that's what I was fixing to say. That was the funniest thing that ever happened. That movie's about, what, three and a half, four hours long? Something I mean, like it's, that. It's yeah. a long movie, and it's, it's, it's basically pretty boring. And I sat through that thing, and, you know, once you sit through it and you're getting close to the end, you at least want to see the culmination of what they're trying to get to. And one of, one of the ladies in the room with her put the wrong film, the wrong reel as the last part of the movie. So after watching it for three and a half hours, it switched to some other movie. And when I looked at Debbie, her eyes got as big as saucers, and she goes, oh, my God, I hope I didn't do this. And she got up and ran to the back. And when she come back, she said it wasn't me. It was another one of the ladies. But, yeah, 
to this day, I've never seen the last 30 minutes of that movie. And I wouldn't go back and watch it again just to find out where I need to be to see what the end of it looks like. <laughs> you know, it took me 20 years and being uh, a captive audience in a uh, in a hospital before I ever saw the ending of the Ten Commandments. Never saw it all the way through. Yeah, I would start it because it used to be back in... Back in when the days when they only had three channels, it was a, a yeah. staple on Easter. They always, you know, one oh, yes. channel or the other, always ran. Yeah. And uh, and I would start it and fall asleep before it was over with, because by the time they added commercials to it, you know, yep. the, the thing was six hours long. And uh, I finally saw the uh, saw the ending of it, and uh, it it was worth the wait. It, that's a great movie. Yeah, it was. Uh, uh, it was quite a long time before I saw uh, Gone with the Wind from start to finish. I had seen parts of it, you know, and frankly, my dear, and the whole thing. But uh, they it played on NBC two nights as a, you know, two two hours one night, two hours the next. And I was I was uh, working at, at a school teaching broadcasting. My my wife taped it, and uh, you know, I finally got to see the whole thing. It was a great movie. But you know, it's just one that it's really hard to just sit down and try to watch. Yeah, that's that's like The Godfather. I had never seen all the Godfather movies, and they had a uh, friend of mine ran a video store, and she told me they had this new thing come in, and it's called The Godfather Saga, and it's mm-hmm. all three movies, and they piece them together so it runs in chronological order, but it takes twelve hours to watch it, right. ten hours or whatever it is. And uh, I rented the thing, and as it turned out, it was one of those freak snowstorm days where it snowed about three inches, and everything shut down. Wasn't nowhere you couldn't go anywhere, couldn't do anything. And I sat on my couch and I watched all the whole thing from start to finish one Saturday, which I thoroughly enjoyed it watching it that way. But uh, yeah, I wish that they would. Uh, that's never been released. Um, they just recently did it again with the first two parts where they ran them in chronological order, and they called it the Godfather Epic. And they were running it on HBO or, or one of the cable channels, and I wish they would <clears> release <throat> release that on home video because it's they add more scenes back into it that they deleted out from, you know, when they edited the first two movies. And it's mm-hmm. uh, as much as I enjoy the first two movies, the way especially two the way it is, back and you know switching back and forth between eras, it's just <clears throat> it makes more sense to watch it chronologically. Well, they there's been a lot of great movies out. There. I I've watched. Uh, I have learned here since I still have the capability to record DVDs off TV. It's cheaper for me to rent. Something off of off of Direct TV and record it than it is to go buy it. So yesterday I rented the Angry Bird movie and I sat and watched it last night. That's some fine entertainment. But I'll tell you something. The funniest part of the whole movie was the little five fifteen second clip I saw in the previews in the theater. The rest of it was a little slow. <laughs> Well, I'm, well, I'm currently uh, binge-watching with my wife, Marge, Marvel Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the whole 22 episodes from this season. Uh, I started recording them back. I watched the first episode back in September, and, you know, just with time problems and uh, trying to watch other stuff, uh, it was just uh, left behind. So we're up to episode 
eight now, I think. So I said, we've got to finish it up before the new season starts. So that's what we're doing. (laughs) I caught up on it uh, a couple months ago. i got to catch up on Daredevil on Netflix. But right now I'm in the middle, and I probably will be for the next month. I'm watching all my, my Hong Kong and Kung Fu movies. I got three Donnie Yens left, and then I'll move to uh, Sonny Chiba. I don't know why, but I just I've always loved those movies, even back in the in the the seventies when they were the the lip syncing was so terrible, and the guy would talk for five <laughs> minutes and he'd say three words. But uh, I just I've always loved loved Hong Kong and and. Uh, Kung Fu movies. Not all Hong Kong movies are, are, you know, martial arts. A lot of them, when especially when John Woo came along, a lot of them are are police dramas and and gangster movies and stuff like that. It's just they're done, you know, with Hong Kong stars. So, have either you guys ever bought anything from Amazon UK or from Amazon Canada? Uh, I buy from them just like I do from Amazon in the U.S. Uh, you can get a lot of good uh, British series, you know, that aren't played in the United States from Amazon UK. The only problem is you've got to have a all-region, you know, yeah, you've got to DVD have a region play. free player. Yeah, and then Canada shows a lot of uh, Canada's got a lot of these series that ABC or whatever may have run one season of, and then decided they weren't going to show it anymore but it's still being produced in Canada, and they've done four or five seasons on it. What happens is you get hooked on them. I'm watching a medical drama called Saving Hope, and, uh, you know, it played on NBC one season. So, you know, there's there's other outlets out there uh, that's available to folks that they may not be aware of. It's just, uh, you know, you just got so many pennies in your pocketbook to go around. Yeah. I'll tell you one. I've got the complete um, Monty Python series. When they're their BBC series, I've got a, I've got every episode of it. They they put out a what they called a 16 ton mega box of uh, on DVD, and I I I bought it. One of the first big purchases I ever made on DVD, and I've got all of their movies as well. And I, I realize Monty Python is not everybody's cup of tea, but I've always loved them. They used to run on uh, they ran Monty Python on the PBS channel in Alabama when I was yep. a kid. That's where I and first there saw was it. another one that ran at the same time, and I know PBS still runs a lot of British comedies like Faulty Towers and stuff like that, but there was one that ran for, and I don't know how many seasons they did it, but I can only remember a handful of episodes that they ran uh, on PBS. It was called The Marty Feldman Show or The Marty Feldman Machine or something like that. It right. was, it was a, He had his own show. And I would thinking, you know, somewhere along the line, somebody would release that, but I've never been able to find it. And that was the, I'd never seen Marty Feldman before. That's, Big you know, that was before he started doing the Mel Brooks movies. Right. Probably and, can't, they uh, probably can't get the rights from his estate to put that out. Could be. Could very well be. We're down to a minute and ten seconds, folks, if anybody's got anything they really want to say. Not me. I think we've just about beat everything we could beat tonight. Well, uh, post office box OU812, anybody wants to send to the uh, Bobby uh, Cataract Fund, so uh, <laughs> <laughs> we may have a telethon or a radiothon or something. Yeah, we've got a car wash. 
And we hope uh, we hope Jerry's going to be uh, medically okay to go to work in the morning. Yeah. But, well, sure had a good fine. night. See everybody in two weeks. All right. Good night, everybody. Good night, guys. We thank you for listening to this broadcast, a production brought to you by the GWH Radio Network. Stay tuned to GeorgiaWrestlingHistory.com for the latest information on upcoming events and more. As always, we thank you for your continued